from the WGN Skyline Studio. WGN Radio presents a conversation. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. A dialogue. What are you prepared to do? An astute debate. Everything that's in the law. And a peek behind the curtain of politics. And then what are you prepared to do? I think Chicago is not only the center of the country, I think it's the center of the world. Don't tread on them. Where did this statement come from? This is the Sunday Spin. Your host is the Chicago Tribune's Rick Pearson. Good Sunday morning, everyone. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to this edition of the Sunday Spin for November the 17th, 2019. This is our weekly look at the world of politics and policy as we take you from City Hall to the State House and all the way on to the White House. So, time to grab that Sunday paper, get that hot cup of coffee. And we'll do our best to get your week off to a good start. Well, beautiful uh, sunrise out there this morning. Kind of nice to see, and uh, nice to see uh, that snow has melted. <laughs> For the most part. Uh, driving in this morning, uh, there were a couple of piles of snow that uh, would be indicative of January rather than November. But uh, that's what we've been dealing with here the past week or so. I am encouraged to see temperatures in the 40s for highs this week and maybe 50. Maybe 50s, I saw that. I like that. Yes, maybe I'll... It'll help uh, end this cold that I've been fighting for so <laughs> You've long. Had, it's been pretty stubborn for you, hasn't it? It really has. It yeah. really has. But, uh, you know, just the way the, the – even, you know, yesterday was nice and today is starting off nice. But it's that dampness that's still out there, you know, from the melting that's going on. Uh, at least it's not slippery. Yeah, but I'm, I am concerned about you know chance of rain this afternoon, and if the temperature falls too much, uh, freezing rain. Yeah, light rain, light snow, and freezing rain could be a, a situation, especially getting down into uh, lower thirties. Uh, you know those temperatures right at the point where you get uh, you know freezing rain and uh, freezing uh, drizzle on your sidewalks and the roadways and uh, that's not good i really hate freezing rain <laughs> <laughs> well you having lived in the st louis uh, area yes. in edwardsville you're very familiar with what freezing rain can do it and was, ice storms there yes uh, there is nothing worse than that it really is terrible and you know when it gets to the point where it's freezing on your windshield faster than uh you, your your heater in the car the defroster, defroster can get rid of it yeah the defroster ain't de-working you know, like <laughs> defroster ain't de-working yeah it's uh it's bad stuff so hopefully it's going to be light light stuff and uh you know i'm thinking with uh, all the sports today uh rather than do some big kind of cooking uh, ballpark food today. Yeah, good call. Good idea. You know, hot dogs and burgers on the grill, and uh, Blackhawks six. Got the Bears at seven thirty. Uh, you know, perfect. Everything. Every every uh, audio visual device in the property will be being used. <laughs> Multimedia man. Well, I I will tell you, I I have to admit, I did not stay up for the entire Hawks game last night. Uh, but when uh, you well, I know, and it was early enough, but still, 
partly with cold medicine. Uh, but uh, uh, speaking of uh, cold medicine, uh, Pekka Rene got, mm-hmm. uh, got some uh, real medicine last night. Yeah, and uh, it did not go down well for him, unfortunately. Well, for <laughs> no, him, what, but fortunately, say, unfortunately for us. I, yeah, no, no. It it, uh, it was a peppering, so to speak, of Pekka Rene. And uh, I think fans will remember, uh, as it was pointed out during the uh, the broadcast a couple of times yesterday, that uh, you know he made some statements after the October 29th game there in Nashville about and they played horrible. They the did Hawks play played terribly. Yeah. yeah, and you know here's the here's the worst part about it. He wasn't wrong, you know, right. when what he said, uh, saying that it was one of the easiest shutouts perhaps in his career because the Hawks were were lifeless at that point. Now this is a different team, and it's really weird to think that this is the same exact team that played like that against Nashville the first time and just smoked them last night. There were, and, and here's the thing. The offense is going to get a lot of credit, and it should, because it scores seven goals. And they have five or more goals in their last three straight games. But Robin Leonard, at the very beginning, the Hawks were being outshot 6 nip, uh, six nothing in the first uh, first few minutes of the game. Oh, yeah, and it could have the game could have been over very, easily, very quickly. Easily could have been over. And he uh, he stood tall the entire night. He, he also had a, a big flurry uh, at the beginning of the second period when they opened up uh, with a, about a minute and a half of power play time in Nashville. So it was uh, it was a really interesting game. Uh, it was fun to watch some of the passing that was going on in that game yesterday. Terrific, terrific. Uh, Alex Dabrinka gets a lot of credit for goal scoring, but not as much credit as he deserves for being able to pass. And uh, it was just it was a, a lot of fun, especially at the expense of Pekka Rene. Uh, keep your mouth shut, boy. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Keep your mask on. Yeah, keep your mask on. Go back to the locker room in the second period and uh, enjoy the rest of the game. Yeah, when that was about the time I felt comfortable that I could go to sleep was when they chase uh, Pecorine off the ice. Yeah, that, uh, it was good. It was nice to see. And you know what? It's really nice to see this team playing the way it is. And uh, you and I were talking in the newsroom before the show today just uh, about the credit that I think Jeremy Colleton deserves for realizing and recognizing the talent that he has and, and you know, not forcing a system on them and, and maybe making it a little bit easier for uh, the defensemen to understand responsibilities. You know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of young defensemen. Uh, you know, Eric Gustafson is now playing with much more confidence. Great to get Connor Murphy back in the lineup last yes. night of stabilizing force and a guy that will block a few shots uh, along the way. Uh, but I give him a lot of credit, and it's really weird because, you know, the other team that you mentioned in this playing tonight, the Bears, uh, Matt Nagy, not so uh, not so much. He uh, continues to want to force his system down everybody's throat, and uh, we've seen how that works right now with the quarterback that he has. But uh, back to the Hawks, though. I mean, it's it's nice to see them playing with some uh, some confidence. Uh, the offense playing well, and uh, you know, both goaltenders have been tre- uh, tremendous lately. I think they're they're kind of feeding off of each other, uh, wanting to outdo the next the next guy when when he gets out there. So. Uh, I believe Corey Crawford gets the start tonight. I haven't seen that officially, but I would imagine that's the case. Yeah, and and I think both those guys, both both goalies, deserve a lot of credit for this kind of new resurgence here. Because, uh, as you said, it's it's not uh, Carlton forcing a a system. I mean, I kind of noticed this with Vegas. Mm-hmm. Vegas, very good team, very fast team, but it was like let the guys play. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a fun that was a fun game to watch. Yeah, very a first for the Hawks in the franchise history beating that Vegas team, that right. pesky Vegas team, the old guard that they are. And uh, yeah, some some uh, very bad calls. Uh, I mean, you know, penalty shots, penalty shots, mm-hmm. two, pen, two and two in the first period. Yeah, I mean, all the years that I used to go to Blackhawks games. I only saw one penalty shot, you know? I mean, it was like the rarest play 
in, in hockey. And I, and I know they've loosened that up a mm-hmm. lot, but still the, uh, uh, the the call against the Blackhawks for uh, allegedly Crawford throwing his stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the replay showed that wasn't the case. No, the stick got knocked out of his hand. I just don't know why that that's not a reviewable kind of or appealable kind of uh, call to make. Because it is, you know, it is such a rare play, and odds are normally with the with the goal scorer, uh, with the with the forward coming in on the penalty shot. But yep. um, I, I don't know too. Maybe the way with shootouts these days, whether the the odds are are different these days. I think they are. I think that uh, a lot of these goaltenders have seen some of the moves already from some of these right. guys you studied a little bit before the game, in case you get into that situation. And yeah, I mean it's it's tough because these guys now go to school on what you do, and the penalty shot is it's it's one of those crazy plays because as you say you never really see it. We saw it in the playoffs, didn't we? In thirteen with uh, uh, Michael Froelich. Yes, yes, we did against Detroit. So that was uh, a nice little uh, nice little gift that was given to the Blackhawks that day. But we'll you know they'll take it. Well, I'm just glad to see we've seemed to have righted the ship a little bit. Yeah, uh, we'll, let's see what happens uh, against Buffalo tonight. But um, we're above 500, eight, seven, and four, and uh, moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think if uh, you know if it was a trend, it would be trending upward, uh, and it's it's nice to see that. Again, you want to see a more sustained, uh, consistent type of play, and yeah, we've seen it over the last week or so when when uh, they've won five of seven. But uh, in those losses, it's been, ugh. Uh, but in the wins, it's been great. There really hasn't been a whole lot of in-between. And that's where that consistency lies. You, you can't expect a team to go out and score five goals every game. No. Uh, but you can't expect a team to go out and, and, and score two or three and have a goaltender that uh, will allow maybe one and a good defensive uh, plan to kind of keep the other team uh, off the board and, and out of their zone, which is the biggest thing. That was the biggest difference to me was just the fact that they were playing in Last night they were playing in Nashville's end of the ice. I mean, it was like tilted. I mean, they didn't have to Zamboni the other side. (laughs) There was no skate marks. Finally, finally seeing it down in the other team's end. That was was very pleasant. Now we, of course, go to the Bears. (laughs) Do we have to? I know, I know. Uh, This is going to be an interesting game, especially if uh, David Montgomery is not able to go. And I know a lot of fans uh, I heard from yesterday after making the statement that, you know, now there's going to be a lot of pressure on Mitch Trubisky because your top running back is out. But everybody wants to say, well, you know, Matt Nagy never used his running backs anyway, right. so what's the difference? Well, the biggest difference is that this way at least you knew you had somebody that might be able to eat up five yards uh, if you needed it, especially on first down or second down, to make it a much more manageable uh, next situation for Trubisky. And I'm still not completely convinced that uh, – after the game against Detroit, that this is fixed, you know. I mean, it's just, it's not. Uh, oh, I don't think it's so. not a one game situation. You got you have to prove it uh, over some time, and and uh, you know you can go back to last year's game against the Rams. It was big for the Bears in that case, but uh, the Rams ended up prevailing. But what ended up happening, uh, Adam Hogan and I were talking about this yesterday. What ended up happening is the Bears showed the way last year to how to stop the Rams defense or Rams offense. And Bill Belichick went to school on that in the Super Bowl, which is why the Rams didn't get uh, didn't get going. Uh, and now on the opposite end of things, Khalil Mack uh, has been uh, kind of schemed against from his old team, the Raiders, when uh, John Gruden started to do some things to him in the second half of that game against the Raiders in in London. That's after Akeem Hicks went out. So lots has to go right here for the Bears tonight. And you know what? If they get a win, they've got a couple of very winnable games on the horizon here. They got the Giants at home. 
and then they're at Detroit. So feasibly, and again, this is putting the cart way, way, way in front of the horse. Uh, they could end up being seven and five after that. Yeah, I. I so, but again, tonight tonight's the big one. I, yeah, I, I. Yes, I'm a Bears fan, but I don't have a great deal of optimism. I, I, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, yeah, you know, I kind of go into games like that uh, as well, and I think that uh, a lot of fans are doing that because now you don't expect too much, and if they give you something, it's a bonus. That's, I think, the best way to approach. <laughs> it's a bonus. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, let's uh, let's go Bears. Well, Dave's here to keep us up to date on all the news. Andy here with the latest sports. Producer Casera is here to field your phone calls. We're at 312-981-7200. You can text us at 312-981-7200. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Sunday Spin. We're on Twitter at symbol Sunday Spin. And Engineer Bob is practicing being a balloon holder for the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Remember, you can find all of us of our shows on WGNRadio.com. You can also get our podcasts at iTunes by searching for my name, Rick Pearson. Time for a quick break. You're listening to The Sunday Spin on WGN. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Time to uh, launch our spin through the week in national politics. Uh, Dave mentioned this during the newscast, the Iowa poll uh, Des Moines Register and CNN Iowa poll, which uh, uh, Ann Seltzer, the best pollster in the business, uh, conducts. New leader in Iowa among the Democratic contenders. Uh, we've got South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg at uh, 25% of uh, the first choice for president among uh, caucus goers. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, the U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, she had been at 22% in September. She has slipped down to 16%. And then we have uh, former Vice President Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders each at 15%. So uh, a big advance for uh, Pete, Mayor Pete from South Bend uh, now at 25%. We'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, of course, we had the first public phase of the impeachment inquiry going on in Washington, led by House Democrats. Uh, on Friday, the former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, spoke about her time in Ukraine. She also spoke about intimidation from the White House. And, of course, during her testimony, the president tweeted about her. And the House Intelligence Committee chairman, Adam Schiff, called it witness intimidation in real time. What we saw today is it wasn't enough that Ambassador Ivanovich was smeared, it wasn't enough that she was attacked, it wasn't enough that she was recalled for no reason, at least no good reason. Um, but we saw today witness intimidation in real time by the President of the United States. Once again, going after this dedicated and respected uh, career public servant uh, in an effort to not only chill her, but to chill others so they come forward. Um, we take this kind of witness intimidation and obstruction inquiry very seriously. That's House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff raising the possibility that that also could be an article of impeachment that's raised by House Democrats. You're listening to The Sunday Spin on WGN. Now, The Sunday Spin continues on 720 WGN. Here's Rick Pearson. 
Good Sunday morning. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. And joining me on the phone is Illinois Senate Republican leader Bill Brady, Republican from Bloomington. Leader Brady, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Rick, good to be with you. How's uh, the weather in Chicago today? Uh, it's a little chilly right now, but uh, we're, we're going to warm up, get close to 40. So uh, at least you've got all that wind blowing on the prairie down in Bloomington. <laughs> yeah, we still have remnants of snow, so it's, um, yeah, we'll all get a little warmer. Yes, we're all looking forward to a little bit warmer week. Well, I know uh, things warmed up in Springfield last week because it was the final uh, scheduled three days of the, the fall veto session and uh, ended with a quite the surprise when uh, Democratic Senate President John Cullerton announced that uh, he would be retiring uh, from the chamber in January. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, he's he's been a fixture at the State House for 40 years. Uh, was there any inkling this was going to happen? You know, John had talked a couple of years ago, I think, about potentially uh, the fact that his wife was getting tired of him traveling to Springfield and wanted him to stay at home more. And so I was a little surprised. Conversations we had led me to believe he may stay through the next mapping process, but he um, uh, made the decision good for his family. As he said, there's several ways to leave the legislature on your own terms is the best. So my congratulations to him. not that we're we don't have you know session for now a break until january uh but does that kind of unsettled situation about leadership on the other side of the aisle uh affect the dynamics going forward with the the new spring session well i think everyone would say the sooner the democrats can come to their decision uh, being the majority party, the better they are, the better we are, uh, so we can at least address some of the pressing issues. So I, they'll um, they'll do what they need to do to bring themselves to a majority of uh, their members supporting one candidate or another. And and uh, I don't think there's a lot of division over there, although there's a lot of people who would be interested in being president of the Senate. It, a lot of power comes with that position, and uh, it'll be interesting to say the least about watching as they uh, jockey for uh, the presidency well let's let's talk about what did and didn't happen in the veto session uh, certainly i think the 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 major uh, accomplishment one that uh, governor pritzker had sought uh was the consolidation of uh, nearly 650 individual uh, pension funds for police and fire outside the city of Chicago, uh, merging them into two separate funds. And, you know, I, I, I had my doubts that this would ever happen, just given the, the kind of turf wars that exist uh, in, those, in those local police and pension boards. Uh, and, and at one point it did look like it was going to get scuttled uh, when some language was added that the Municipal League opposed. Uh, but I think, you know, all in all, this is probably a, a good positive effect moving forward for those pension funds. Oh, I think it will be, without a doubt. We've long thought that consolidation, uh, better investment opportunities, will work toward reduce the cost of pensions, which reduces the property tax pressures, as well as leaves more money to support 
our first responders uh, who are actively working to protect our interests. There may be some, you know, backseat quarterbacking years down as, as returns change. But overall, the efficiencies, the economies, and the ability. Uh, we, we were, we've worked on this for several years. And there were, as always, you, you know, the making of legislation is, is not always pretty and people try to stick their little things in to get their credit. But at the end of the day, we resolved ourselves to, I think, doing the right thing. And uh, in, in a bipartisan way, for the interest of the entire state. So I, I was pleased with the outcome. Um, one thing that didn't happen, and, and I was amazed, frankly. You know, sometimes when you're in Springfield and in session, you know how there's kind of that news bubble that everybody kind of gets trapped in. Uh, but one thing, and and in fact, you even received a text this morning about uh, what happened to the Daylight Savings Elimination Bill. That got all kinds of play all over the place. It's kind of funny. It's a, I guess it's an important issue to a lot of people. I, I guess I've lived with going back and forth so often I don't think that much about it. And, I mean, uh, seriously, it got, it got all kinds of play up here in Chicago. Oh, oh. Oh, the news media was all over it, even downstate, and uh, it just didn't seem to have any wheels. I, I haven't really studied the issue. Not that there's an in-depth study. I know there's some federal <laughs> provisions and so forth. But it's an it's hour. A, it's an hour. That's... <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, I, I don't know why it didn't move. But some good things did move. You know, I think we Republicans uh, joined our Democratic colleagues in making insulin more affordable. Uh, as you said, the pension bill. But there were some things that were very challenging for us this last week. The, the fact that the Democrats took a, a, a partisan position on ethics reform and failed to move measures that we felt were important uh, in terms of cleaning up uh, what's going on in Springfield right now with uh, investigations into Democratic senators' uh, offices and home, uh, indictments of other uh, Democratic senator and representative in the in the Chicagoland area. So we're we're trying to do what we can. But I I must say we ended on a very very sour note uh, with the grab of the Democrats to uh, remove the balance of partisanship in a commission and the failure to call meaningful reforms. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do in this area. And restoring public trust is so important not only to the people who live here but attracting businesses and jobs to Illinois. What you're talking about is this task force, basically, an ethics task force to recommend uh, legislation prompted by some of these investigations. Um, I'm not sure exactly what substantive ethics legislation essentially passed, uh, because... Yeah, really nothing. We we had several initiatives that we thought were good. We introduced two weeks ago the opportunity to remove the legislature's ability to stop an investigation by the legislative inspector general to allow that person to do that on their own. That's been thwarted uh, at least until next year, as well as um, uh, uh, other lobbying uh, regulations and rules that, that we think were important given the state of affairs and the allegations that have been made. Uh, up in the, up, up in the Chicagoland area. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, one of the issues that uh, involves uh, a, a House member, uh, Luis Arroyo, uh, for uh, lobbying local governments, and that seemed to be, you know, a no-brainer legislation to 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 ban that aspect. And why it was thwarted by the Democrats, I don't know. 
but uh, gives us some concern about how how real they are about uh, reforming the system. We're speaking with Illinois Republican Senate leader Bill Brady from Bloomington. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson, the Chicago Tribune. Joining me on the phone is Illinois Republican Senate leader Bill Brady from Bloomington. Uh, Leader, one of the things uh, that had been talked about in advance, actually, I think it was your your, uh, colleague on the House side, uh, Jim Durkin, described veto sessions as perhaps the most overblown uh, as far as expectations are concerned. Uh, But... One of the things that uh, had been talked about going in was uh, doing something regarding the issues of vaping and uh, child use of, of vaping, and obviously amid the concern over the, the health issues that surround that, and yet nothing got accomplished. True, and I think Leader Dirk is right. Uh, there's a lot of hype about created by lobbyists and media who are looking for something to talk about because we've been off from the General Assembly for the months of June, July, August, September, and much of October. So there's a lot of things out there. But but typically and traditionally, those things are dealt with uh, in a more thorough way. As I said, these are important things. Vaping is important. I think we're trying to wrap our arms around what we need to do here. Education is obviously important. The, the, The problems this is creating, particularly amongst our youth, and we're going to have to address this issue. I I guess I still go back to the thing that bothers me the most is when you've got uh, members of the General Assembly who are under indictment, who are under investigation, who are under wire, we should have taken a much more thorough look at uh, the corruption and how we how we handle that, in my opinion. And that should have been something we could have dealt with in veto, waiting until latter part of January to begin that discussion anew, I think it is a missed opportunity. With the fact of those investigations going on, was there maybe just a reluctance of wanting to do much of anything? Well, evidently on the part of the Democrats there was. It certainly wasn't on our part. Uh, we wanted a balanced uh, commission to begin studying everything under the sun, but we also felt there were measures that the public deserved to see moved. Uh, but there's no question the Democrats control the gavel, and uh, I think uh, this is a problem. Obviously, uh, as far as the city of Chicago, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot looking to try to balance the city budget as well as uh, look for new revenues for future retirement of uh, pension debt. Um, she had uh, looked for changes in casino law which are never easy, Um, also looked for a graduated uh, real estate transfer tax, Uh, walked away with nothing. Yeah, I I think um, she's got some work to do. Um, And uh, if she's going to look for help from the governor and the, the legislature, I think there's some more groundwork that needs to be laid on both sides of the aisle. What what's the problem? Is it communication? Is it uh, lack of yeah, prep work? I, I mean, I have a story, well, I, and I have a story in the Sunday Tribune where I point out she said she came quite close, and it's like, well, close doesn't get you there. Uh, the batting average is still zero. Um, 
And I mean, obviously, you're in the process. I hear from people in the process. And uh, it just seemed like uh, the the prep work for for the big asks, and these are big asks, they weren't done. They they are. And look, she didn't she didn't create these problems. She's inherited it. She's coming in as a reformer from from outside. Uh, I would say that some of the folks in her party look at that with a little bit of a jaundiced eye about what that's all about. I think she's got to build some relationships. I think she's trying. She was down in Springfield last week. I, you know, maybe been down in Springfield as much as any mayor in such a short period of time. So I, I'm not saying she doesn't have a game plan. I just think that there's more that uh, needs to be done. And, you know, we, those of us in downstate who, who believe Chicago is an important asset uh, to the uh, state of Illinois want to see it succeed not stand in its way for any any political purpose or otherwise. Uh, but there's some work that needs to be done. And, and frankly, I, this takes me back to another issue that I think are, are really important. And, and, and one of the problems I think Chicago has downstate right now is is the, the gerrymandered maps we have in the state have, have so lopsided the legislature to the left. And we're seeing more and more talk about dividing the state into Chicago and another state, because I think people are frustrated about the policies that are coming out of Springfield because of the supermajorities that I don't think are reflective of the populace or population of Illinois. That's a problem she's got to deal with, too, believe it or not, because, you know, there's a huge anti-sentiment to Chicago downstate, not that they need all the votes downstate to pass what she wants, but there's a huge anti-Chicago sentiment that makes it difficult for legislatures to say anything nice about Chicago. I, I'm not one of those. I, I believe that Chicago ha- is a great city, and if not one of the world's greatest cities, in my opinion. But uh, I think there's a PR issue that needs to be dealt with. I think she can deal with it, and I think uh, she needs to. But I, it comes back to another major initiative of ours to root out what we think is corruption, and that is fair maps. Letting uh, independent bodies draw maps that will be fairly representative of the makeup of the state, not gerrymandered them to give one party a supermajority control and, and put those policies in place that are out of balance with the balance of the state of Illinois. Well, typically when Chicago has an ask or a big ask, there are components, uh, be it be it the Chicago support for uh, legislation to help downstate or the suburbs or whatever, that though, that's part of the give and take and the trade-offs that exist. And, I mean, it, it seemed to me that, you know, for example, with the, the casino bill to reopen that can of worms and, and try to alter the taxes, you know, there had to be some kind of equity for everybody in the state in, in some form of uh, fashion for taxation purposes. And that's, that's why I think it's important that she be given time to develop a relationship on both sides of the aisle. You know, our cities downstate are struggling, too. They have fire and police pensions that uh, are a big burden and prevent them from doing some of the things they want to do. So uh, measures that are more broadly based than just Chicago-centric, I think, will find more success. I'm not saying she's not doing what she needs to do. She had to first come to some agreement within Chicago about what they wanted to go for and then work for that. And, and we're we're more than willing to work with her on issues. But realizing that this is a big state that has challenges everywhere and that 
bringing those as part of the solution, I think, is an important aspect of what we need to do. But, you know, we did that with the Capitol bill, which is, you know, one of my um, proudest moments the last session was that we were able to, in a bipartisan fashion, pass a Capitol bill that met the interest of the entire state. So big decisions, I think, need to meet the entire interest of the state, and there's some things to learn. But I, I'm, not, I'm not being critical of Mayor. She didn't create this problem. She inherited it. She's trying to do the best she can with it. And uh, but and in time, I, I hope she gets there. So uh, now legislature's on pause till January, uh, and uh, a lot to look forward ahead as we go into uh, an election year spring session. Uh Illinois Republican Senate Leader Bill Brady, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Rick, thanks, and uh, let's have a good, uh, let's see, the the Bears do some successful things. I know you're focused on the Blackhawks, but let's not lose sight of the Bears. Well, there are times where you want to lose sight of the Bears, I'll admit that. (laughs) Thank you much, Leader Brady. All right, thanks, Rick. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Good Sunday morning. Welcome to the second hour of your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Uh, We played the cut earlier about uh, the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff uh, saying that Trump uh, tweeting out an attack on former Ukraine Ambassador uh, Marie Yovanovitch was witness intimidation. Well, the president was asked about his tweet and whether he was trying to intimidate her or future witnesses. Here's what he had to say. I'll tell you about what tampering is. Tampering is when a guy like Shifty Shift doesn't let us have lawyers. Tampering is when Shift doesn't let us have witnesses, doesn't let us speak. I've been watching today for the first time I started watching, and it's really sad when you see people not allowed to ask questions. It's totally, nobody's ever had such horrible due process. There was no due process. And I think it's, I think it's considered a joke all over Washington and all over the world. The Republicans are given no due process whatsoever. We're not allowed to do anything. It's a disgrace what's happening. But you know what? The American public understands it. And that's why the poll numbers are so good. And that's why other things are so good. I'm not exactly sure what poll numbers he's talking about, but uh, the polls that I've been seeing have shown the public attitudes of supporting impeachment steadily growing. Uh, we'll talk about impeachment, the process, and the politics with Michael Golden. He is president of Golden Mean Strategies, also author of the book Unlock Congress. Michael, it's always good to have you here in the studio. Especially when you bring donuts. That's right. A dozen donuts, assorted flavors, 18th floor of 303. I couldn't, I'd rather be nowhere else than Sunday morning. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, so we had the public testimony of uh, the former ambassador. We had previous to that, opening it up, the, opening the phase of the public inquiry, uh, we had uh, former acting Ukraine ambassador William Taylor. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kane, two pretty solid uh, witnesses uh, here. But I thought it was the uh, Jovanovich testimony, and it's particularly that tweet from the president at the same time saying that, you know, she's been lousy at every job she's ever held. Look at Somalia. You know, I mean, uh, easy place to, easy yeah, place right. to repair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, easy, always an easy place to fix. But it was the way that that tweet, I thought, took Republicans off the ballgame. 
and somebody had a clip and i i, I can't remember what it, it might have been chuck todd of the republican members of the intelligence committee each in turn taking before their questions praising her service uh, for the country and it's kind of like this isn't this is not what the republican game plan was supposed to be yeah you know what it's funny when i and when i was watching that by the way if anybody calls and i have a challenge you, he just said shifty chef i for my money the best two nicknames trump's ever come up with are shifty chef and sloppy steve for steve bannon Okay. I, All right. Somebody not, can, not Sleepy Joe? <laughs> no, no. You don't like if Sleepy Joe? If somebody can beat one of those, I can't okay. keep track of them all. The, I was trying to watch this as objectively as possible. And notwithstanding the, the, the facts and the testimony, you're asking more really about the tone after that tweet. And I, I have to say, even, even with them uh, disclaiming each of their remarks, the, the, the members of the GOP, after they thanked her for her service, uh, and if, even if you grant them that it was s- sincere, th- those men and women sounded really angry, I, I, mean. I, and I, I, was, I kept checking myself to make sure that I wasn't... Uh, because she's a sympathetic figure. She's, she's, right. she's, an, she's an incredible public servant. She's very strong. She's very soft-spoken. She's one of the most credible witnesses I've seen in, in, in a malfeasance public hearing in front of Congress. And I've seen a lot. You know, super nerds watch, watch a lot of that stuff. Uh, but, I, you know, even, even after that, if their strategy was to go easier, after their compliments, a lot of it seemed like attack to me anyway. They don't have a lot to work with here. I mean, no, and it's been kind of an evolving story. It's first there was no quid pro quo, and then you get to, well, yeah, but he said it, but uh, that's done all the time, and then it's like, you know, well, president gets to decide his own uh, foreign strategy. Well, Uh, you you know that like I think I sent you a few days ago. uh, I'd written an article uh, in the New York Daily, his old hometown i guess now yes new york daily news uh, comparing what's going on to goodfellas that that the the movie that and this is how mob trials are built they from the outside in they go up and up the chain and people have to tell the truth to for self-preservation they don't want to go to jail the six people that have been indicted and convicted under trump all six have been convicted of lying of of lying under oath and as it gets closer and closer, and by the way, that's what you're seeing right now. Sondland, Gordon Sondland, this ambassador, he testified once. He went back and, and you know, revised his testimony. There's no other way to say it. He corrected his lies. Yeah. This whole refreshing memory thing. I mean, you, you can say that if you like, but he, he, he's, he's not a... You know. uh, um, and now he's going to have to go back again because the more people that come and tell the truth about what's happened, and it reminded me, so I, I mentioned Goodfellas before. I told you for this morning I had a quote from my all-time favorite movie, All the President's Men. Hal Holbrook plays Deep Throat. He's in about four scenes, all in a dark garage, talking to Bob Woodward. And we didn't know it was Mark Felt. We didn't know it was Mark Felt, and Hal Holbrook is probably his most memorable role. Four scenes, standing up in a suit in a dark, and, and he says this to Woodward. He says at a certain point in the movie, quote, Forget the myths that the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys, and things got out of hand. And now they're talking about the break-in and the cover-up and everything, but it, the same thing applies. If you're, if you're an ambassador and you're holding up a cell phone in Ukraine at a table full of people in an unsecure line with the President of the United States asking you to investi- investigate your political foes, I don't care if you're worth $60 million and how you made it. That's not a very s- smart thing to do. 
And now I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't testify next week. If he if he takes the fifth or just doesn't show up. That's Son- Sondland doesn't. Sondland, there's because there's there's very little way to cl- clean this up without. It acknowledging you perjure yourself we're speaking with michael golden he's president of golden mean strategies i'm rick pearson this is the sunday spin welcome back to your sunday spin i'm rick pearson of the chicago tribune here in the wgn skyline studio joined by michael golden president of golden mean strategies author of unlock congress we're talking a bit of a review of the first couple of days of the uh, public phase of the impeachment hearing and you know you're quoting uh, from deep throat from uh, all the president's men and one of the other explanations that some republicans have been offering up about the whole issue of ukraine and military aid being held in exchange for investigations is that they're not that smart that the white house isn't that smart right to 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 organize to try to organize and put that together now i I think you're absolutely right with the uh ambassador uh, to the european union um sondland uh scheduled to appear i think on wednesday i'm not sure uh but the one problem Democrats have acknowledged, not necessarily publicly, is the fact of what stopped the military aid. Where did that stop? Who controlled the stoppage of that? And that's, I think that's the next kind of shoe they're looking for to drop in in this kind of ladder climbing that they're doing yeah there's and actually there's a irony going on here that has to do more with the calendar and the clock than whether you'd get to the people that took those orders and did it meaning likely mick mulvaney the the acting chief of staff right uh uh, uh he's refused to testify so is the secretary of state mike pompeo uh so has who am i who am i missing here uh, well, uh, one other principal, the, uh, John Bolton. Thank you, John Bolton, the National Security Advisor. And you know, like when Nixon had to release his tapes, the Supreme Court, nine to nothing, uh, ordered that you know executive privilege wouldn't stand. That's very possible that would happen again if this went all the way to the Supreme Court. But Democrats, there's the political, right? They don't want this dragging out for six months in the house alone they want to get this vote over with and throw it to the senate and have their primary so politics just like set up in the constitution on high crimes and misdemeanors it does enter into this even if and for all they say about wanting to the democrats uphold the constitution which i as you know wholeheartedly agree they should do i don't care if it's two weeks before an election that the whole point is to hold the president accountable otherwise there's no precedent however they've got a problem you know, now maybe depending on what Sondland says, you know, the 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 truth is really outing what happened uh, with Sondland. If he took direct orders uh, from the president, you may not need that office of management and budget hold because the order itself, uh, the Democrats would argue, that's bribery, blackmail, a high crime and misdemeanor, however you want to, extortion, however you want to put it. Um, but uh, you know, the other thing is that the other thing is that when you said they try to put a strategy together, they they can't keep it going because the president is so impulsive, 
right? That, like you said about the tweet, he he won that election, and he thinks that everything he does, he doesn't need quote advisors. Why would he if he won the election? And ninety nine point eight percent of the population didn't think he was going to win, even if they voted for him. So it's it's very hard for the the, the, Repu- the, the GOP in the in the Congress and in, in the Senate too. By the way, how quiet have the senators been the last week? They're sitting at, at their desk at lunch. They don't want to answer these questions because it's very hard to defend. Well, and you actually have seen the stories about uh, speaking of the calendar that Republicans who initially there was a question was if the House does vote for articles of impeachment. Obviously, it would go to trial in the Senate, and there was initial talk that it would be, you know, quick. And and uh, Mitch McConnell saying that the, you know, I would imagine it would be acquittal. Now there's talk about prolonging a trial procedurally uh, to jeopardize the uh, Democrats, the Senate Democrats who are running for president. Well, I'll tell you what. If the if the de- I, I think the Democrats don't fear that as much as they fear. Uh, Mitch McConnell saying when it gets to him, we're not going to do this. We're, we're going to he makes some motion. He's a master of parliamentary rules and not have a, a, a real trial. And the thing is, uh, uh, you know, for all that we talk about, about the actual law and violation of the law or the Constitution or, you know, the, the, the facts and, and what this means. This whole thing, this whole thing in the House is really for the public. Uh, the average of polls has 50%. Half the country believes the president should be impeached and removed. At the beginning of Watergate, before all the stuff came out, it was at 35%. So it's way above where Watergate was. The question is, will it shoot up that last 10%, a little more, to make the senators, uh, the Republican senators, have to actually make a decision? And I'll tell you something. There was a poll. There was a, I, I was shocked to hear this. There was a poll that came out that only 2% of Americans say there's a strong chance they could change their mind about impeachment, and another 8%, there is some chance. That's not a lot. For for a country that has, whatever, 30, 35% in the middle that's not either party, maybe higher, if only 8% have, have a real chance of changing their mind, the Democrats have their work cut out for, for them, no matter how uh, uh, impressive a, a performance or, or prosecution, whatever you want to call it, they put on in the House. Well, and, and you know, obviously the public phase is, was designed to right. steer public opinion and create some kind of pressure points here. Uh, but is anybody watching? Is anybody watching, and is there enough dramatic moments? Like, like well, Yovanovitch, that was very compelling, but it was also five hours. Was there one thing that hit people in the heart who chose to watch that would change their mind among that 10%? The Democrats, it's a... I think it's a steep climb. Well, and and I forget I forget who was decrying uh, the lack of pizzazz. <laughs> that was which, isn't that SNL last night. They did a whole thing in the cold open. I, I'll let you. I'm sorry, <laughs> I was way asleep by that time. But yeah, uh, they they did a whole thing basically saying, "Oh, excuse me, days of our impeachment," trying uh, to make it more dramatic than it is. Uh, the the Democrats because it's not, it hasn't been that dramatic. Right. I guess for. For most of uh, Very quickly, new Iowa poll out. Yeah. Uh, Ann Seltzer again uh, does the best polling in Iowa. And uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, up to 25% from, I believe, 9% previously. Yeah, the Iowans, whether you like that system or not, they go first and they get to, they like to speak to and shake hands and really evaluate candidates up close that is still a tradition and uh he's a i think he's a really great retail politician i think he's great on television too but i think that that's you know 
uh, Iowans really, New Hampshire too, they, they really, they know they have this, they feel like they have this responsibility to put candidates through the gauntlet. I'll tell you what, though, this is Sunday. Yesterday was the election, Saturday election in, in Louisiana, Louisiana, right? And right. Now you have a Democratic governor who won there, a Democrat upset Matt Bevin in Kentucky, and just, just quickly, two years ago in the Virginia House of Commons, almost unprecedented win by the Democrats, one seat of, of the House of Commons, and now they took the House and the Senate a couple of weeks ago. If you think about this, 40 seats in the midterms for the Democrats, that, that's the most since Watergate in a rigged map, speaking of right. Bill Brady and, and, and gerrymandering. And the, if you look at the big elections since the president's been elected, it's a huge... Each Doug Jones in deep red Alabama, a Democratic senator, Kirsten Cinema in Arizona, the first time in twenty four years. I don't know. I don't know um, if I were the GOP, I'd be concerned about that. I mean, there's no question in those swing states the president can win this election again. But a lot of those voters who put him in office, they did not punch a ballot for the GOP in all these elections. And obviously, we look at the tide changing in the suburbs too as well big time michael golden president of golden mean strategy thank you so much for joining me thanks guys thanks rick i appreciate it this is the sunday spin on 720 wgn once again here's rick pearson of the chicago tribune i'm rick pearson welcome back to your sunday spin i'm rick pearson the chicago tribune we're uh, we're talking about the new iowa poll that came out with uh South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg uh, now in first place in the new Iowa poll with 25%. Uh, His campaign has ramped up in Iowa, uh, bringing in uh, a lot of volunteers in the the first-in-the-nation caucus state. Uh, But also, his campaign is expanding. It's even launching a radio ad in South Carolina, which that could potentially be a difficult state for Mayor Pete on the issue of race relations. But uh, here's a cut from that ad. This country cannot afford four more years of Donald Trump. We know that he's going to do everything he can to hold on to power. But if you nominate me, his playbook isn't going to work this time around. I don't have to throw myself a military parade to see what a convoy looks like. Because I was driving one around Afghanistan right about the time this president was taping season seven of The Celebrity Apprentice. But I didn't just come here to end the era of Donald Trump. I'm here to launch the era that must come next. To do something about gun violence, to tackle systemic racism wherever we find it until your race in this country has no bearing on your health or your wealth, your life expectancy or your relationship with law enforcement. An American experience defined not by exclusion, but by belonging. I'm Pete Buttigieg and I approve this message. So that is uh, South Bend uh, Mayor Pete's uh, message to voters in South Carolina. Going to bring things back uh, local again, and joining me now on the phone is Democratic State Representative Sarah Feigenholz from Chicago. Representative, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me, Rick, so bright and early on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, when I think of bright and sunny, I think of you. How about oh, that? That's so sweet. 
and and genuine too, right? Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> well, what I, you see is what you get. Indeed, indeed. Well, I wanted to have you on because, uh, and I had uh, earlier this morning, I had uh, Senate Republican Leader Brady on was uh, to kind of take a look at the wrap up of the the fall veto session, and uh, as I mentioned to Leader Brady. Uh, Jim Durkin, the House Republican leader, always said he always called veto session the most kind of overblown when it comes to expectations. Uh, that and and I think there's a lot of agreement to that. But nevertheless, I, I do think coming out of this, the, the the thing that's good for the rest of the state. I can't say Chicago, but the the idea of that pension fund consolidation was a major victory by the governor and and lawmakers. You know, we did a lot last year, as you recall. Yes. Uh, We accomplished a lot in the first year because we had a governor who took a snapshot from the 30,000-foot view of what troubles the state was in, and um, one by one shifted um, policy and did an amazing job. You witnessed it yourself. But... um, I called him the day after, and I said, what are you going to do for an encore? (laughs) And his answer to me was, we have heavy lifting to do around pensions and property taxes. You know, now we really have to roll our sleeves up because we have to close the circle. We've solved many problems, but these are the two that we have got to finish fixing. So, you know, Senator Brady, of course, Leader Brady was right. Veto session is... Um, you know, a three days, a week break and three days. And so it's very, very hard for, um, continuity of issue, shall we say. And, uh, hurting cats when you're not in town is a, a very tough thing to do with some pretty heady, uh, issues. Now, the pension consolidation bill was a huge step in, in, uh, for downstate and it, uh, for police and fire and fixing the looming pension problem. We have the same problem in Chicago. And the, the casino bill, uh, which needed a fix, as you know, I'm sure you've spoken about it, that the tax rate is, uh, makes, makes the current law, uh, make, makes the Chicago casino unviable. And the revenues from the, that solution would solve our pension problems, would help our mayor and our pension problems. And even more important, um, the the money in there is also for capital for our schools and uh, other necessary projects in the city uh, that require repair just like what requires repair downstate that is getting fixed in the other capital bill that's funded by the increase in the gas tax. But we didn't get the casino fixed. Correct. You're right. And a lot of us are very disappointed about that because it just kicks the can down the road. But I'm, you know what, you know, again, this was, uh, you know, a very short window of time. I, I think that there has been a lot of negotiation. I have faith in the mayor. I have faith in the governor that this is going to get done um, when we're not um, operating under these very um, 
constraining veto session procedures with needing super majorities, 71 votes instead of 60. We have, we will get to it. I am confident that we're going to, to find a solution. We have to, because Chicago legislators are also very eager to begin to address this problem. We do not want to raise property taxes. And um, this is a solution to avoid that. Was it just too too big of an ask given the time frame? Was the proper work and negotiations done in advance? I mean, the idea of a casino fix that that's been talked about, you know, for a long time since that consultants report came out. I mean, it, it there was it, it's not a surprise issue to anybody in Springfield. You know, Rick, you have been around uh, to see a few. Uh, gaming bills, right? Oh, a few, yes. Okay, so so you know as well as I that they are notoriously, everybody wants something and it turns into a Christmas tree and it dies and it just sort of sinks under its own weight. And the fact that it even got done in May was miraculous. Um, but reopening a casino bill actually brings people back to the table who want to add something or change something. And uh, I think that that is essentially, um, there were other interests that were um, brought to the fore that were um, we couldn't find solutions for. But I am confident uh, the Chicago caucus, uh, the currently informal but soon to be formal caucus is going to start getting very organized around this um, issue to make sure it happens because it is uh, an essential piece of keeping property taxes at bay we cannot raise property taxes in chicago we're speaking with democratic state representative sarah feigenholz from chicago i'm rick pearson this is the sunday spin Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson with the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. Joining me on the phone is Democratic State Representative Sarah Feigenholz from Chicago. We're talking about the recently ended fall session of the legislature. And, Representative, I know we, we talked about the casino issue, which is something that the mayor and others want to see a fix. I'm curious... What about as far as the uh, graduated real estate transfer tax issue, which is also something that Mayor Lightfoot wanted out of Springfield and didn't get? Well, I think she was very focused on the casino. Um, You know, again, uh, the the mechanics of veto session require uh, a majority of votes, a supermajority of votes, 71 votes. And her goal of trying to do the casino first, I think. There was a judgment, obviously, that it may have been easier to achieve those votes for the casino, and that was a personal choice of hers. I think that the transfer tax is still needs some tweaks to get to the requisite number of votes, even 60, and so we have more work to do. Well, we'll get it done. I'm, I'm confident we will get it done. Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard a couple of things. Obviously, one is there is uh, a group of Democrats who wants to see uh, that money from that transfer tax, more of it devoted to uh, issues involving the homeless. You've also got uh, legislators who 
basically said, after all of the taxes and, and tax and fee increases we voted for in the spring session, uh, even voting to authorize the city council to levy this uh, a graduated rate real estate transfer tax, that that was too big of a too big of a lift for them. Yeah, I uh, you know I, I think at the uh, I think members are going to have a different level a set of comfort as uh, we approach the budget in this coming year um, where it all kind of fits together. You know, um, very often that's how we do things. We just sort of put all of the things we need to get done on the table so it works. And, you know, sometimes when it's veto session, again, it's you have two very short runways uh, and uh, a lot of hiccups occur, and that's what happened with us. So the mayor made a shot at the casino. We we now have a sense of what we have to do, and we're going to get it done because our city is going to rely on this, and we're committed to it. You know, one of the things in, in regards to the casino, there a, a number of people have just raised the question. Yeah, you had the gaming board consultant study that said that the taxes were too high, uh, and and that it would not, you would not be able to bring in an operator for the casino. But I'm wondering why not just issue the RFP to begin with, uh, uh, not that the city has to accept it, and just see what the market might might tell us from that. Well, don't forget in this uh, particular version of the bill, Rick, there were uh, there was a lot of. Um, benefit to some of the other casinos about debt you know they had uh there were there were a lot of favorable things in this final what you know we were hoping would be final agreement and that are not um so, so there was there were a lot of downstaters that stuck with the mayor by the way but your question is is a good one um Mayor hasn't said whether she would or wouldn't do it. I think that she was waiting to see what was going to happen in Springfield, uh, and she has yet to say, I don't think, that she wouldn't attempt to do it. I, I think that the tax rate is too high, and I think that um, I think it, it just doesn't make it workable. Uh we ended the veto session with some uh, surprising news that the uh, Illinois Senate President John Cullerton announcing uh, that he was retiring in January. Um, you are one of the representatives in the Cullerton Senate District. Uh, do you have any interest in moving to the Senate? Well, of course, uh, um, I worked for Senator Cullerton for 12 years uh, as his chief of staff. And he uh, encouraged me to uh, run for the legislature, which I did. And he has been an incredible mentor. The first call I made was to my colleague to the West and good friend and fellow adoptee, Ann Williams, um, to sort of absorb the information that we had just heard, which was, as you, I'm just, I'm sure you felt it was shocking as well. Yes. Um, I was very surprised um, because uh, I I have never been in the legislature without John Cullerton. I have not been out of his sort of work orbit 
um, for almost 40 years. <laughs> so I'm going, uh, I was trying to figure out the whys and the, you know, but Ann and I did, Aunt Representative Williams and I discussed this. She's very happy in the House with her environmental committee. She's the sponsor of the Clean Jobs Act, right. which is going to be the most important piece of legislation we pass in Illinois for the environment for uh, for years to come. And uh, and I am seriously considering it. I've been talking to my committeemen, and many or most of them actually are very supportive of it. But we have to keep in mind that there is no vacancy yet, and uh, John is still a seated senator. Um, I am still running for state rep. I'm going to be filing petitions. I love the community that I represent, as you know, and um, I'm eager to continue serving it and perhaps a little larger portion. That's Democratic State Representative Sarah Feigenholz from Chicago. As always, Representative, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Rick, it was a pleasure, and when I call in, I don't have to see that Sox hat. Socks hat. Don't, aren't you? Uh, what? Oh no 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 no! That's a that's a that's a Blackhawks hat. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very You're much. A side fan. Uh, uh, yes, indeed, I'm a Cubs fan. Yes, that's great. Well, thank you again, Rick. Your questions are always very stimulating, and uh, I appreciate being called at eight thirty in the morning to talk to you. <laughs> It's always a blast. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> You're wonderful. Keep up the good work. 